Good morning. Beautiful morning this morning. Uh, my name is Ben Rear. I am the commander at FBC Awana, which, I mean, commander's a pretty big name, I think. Um, if you want to be a commander or a director or a leader or a helper or a VI, VIP, I think, is the other one. Um, you, can, you can join us every Wednesday night here at Awana. 6.30 to 8, it's wonderful. There's lots of kids, about 150 this year. So if you ever want to find out more, ask me or KJ or anybody else. Um, I'm going to be reading from the scripture today, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. This is how one should regard us. Thank you for the big letters. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, for I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment, or judgment before time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to the light things that are now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Let me pray. God, we thank you for your grace and kindness to us this morning, and God, we pray as we take a few minutes in your word this morning, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to the goodness of your love and grace to us. God, that you would give us faith to believe, that you would give us a willingness to repent, that you would give us the joy of finding peace in you. And God, our prayer is that your spirit through your word might change us and make us more like your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you see somebody in a military uniform, let's say you see somebody in a military uniform, how would you know who they serve? I mean, it's not that complicated, is it? You can tell by looking at their uniform. You can look at their uniform. You might be able to determine if they're uh, in the Air Force or the Army or uh, the Marines. And uh, it's pretty clear. The uniform tells you they serve in the military. You may even be able to tell if somebody has served in the military in the past. They may wear a baseball cap with the name of the ship that they served on, for example, if they were in the Navy. And so you might, oh, that person has served in the military. So you, there's, there's an identifying marker about that person that says, I know who they serve or who they have served. Now, as believers, we don't have a uniform, but we do have something that identifies us as believers. I'm letting you think about it if you wonder what I'm doing there. It's baptism. When you are baptized, you identify yourself as in Christ by faith. That's what baptism does. It's a way, it's an act of obedience, it's an act of faith saying, I want to be identified with Jesus, my Savior. And much like wearing a uniform, it's a way of saying, I am identified with Christ and I am a servant of Christ, I serve Jesus. Now the baptism doesn't do the serving, it tells you whom you serve. Now you have to actually live in accordance with the uniform you wear. Just like you might expect someone who was wearing a military uniform, you might anticipate they might behave in particular ways. In fact, their CEO would expect them to behave in particular ways depending on the circumstances. So we're baptized into Christ. We identify with Christ. And so therefore, in Christ, we serve Jesus. And Paul today, in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he gives us 
a brief little insight into some of the things that it means when it comes to serving Jesus. Now, he doesn't cover all the things. He's going to cover a lot more later on when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, for example. He's going to talk about specific ways we serve using gifts that the Holy Spirit gives each one of us. But he covers a couple of things that are really, really important about what it means to serve Jesus. And we're going to look at two of them uh, briefly today. I'll give them away to you in case you're feeling sleepy. So you can write them down and feel like you got something. In verses 1 and 2, serving Jesus means we serve others. Look at verses 1 and 2, we're going to understand and see what Paul says. Serving Jesus means serving others. And then verses 3, 4, and 5, serving Jesus means Jesus rewards faithfulness. Serving Jesus means serving others. And also, serving Jesus means Jesus rewards faithfulness. Serving Jesus means serving others. Here's what I mean by that. And then we'll look in the scripture here in a minute and I'll try to explain how Paul is understanding it. Say, for example, you have somebody who owns a manufacturing business. So they have a little manufacturing business, just a little one-shop thing in a local uh, town. And so you got this building in the back of it. you got the shop where they make their widgets. And then they got a, a department that handles uh, it, you know, uh, inventory and billing and all these other things. And so uh, a guy comes in and applies for an entry-level job at this manufacturing business, and they have a, a job for that shop attendant. And shop attendant is generally manager of the broom is what that means. Shop attendant shows up for work and is told what to do all day long by other people. He is to keep it clean and to fetch stuff. A gopher is what it is. And he hopes over the course of time to be so good at sweeping and gophering that someday he'll be given a job in, on, the, on the production line, so to speak. But this shop attendant shows up one day and, and instead of going to the shop, he follows the owner around, opens his door when he needs the door open, fetches his coffee, grabs his pencil, sits in his office. Finally, the owner is, what are you doing? He said, well, you hired me. I work for you. Yeah, you work for me out there, not in here. I hired you not to hang out with me. I hired you to hang out with them. That was the whole job. I want you to help them out in the production floor to get the job done. And this is precisely what it means to serve Jesus. Serving Jesus, he calls us into relationship with him and says, I have called you to serve me by serving others. So the calling of each and every believer, how many believers? Each and every believer is to serve Jesus in gospel ministry to others. Whether that be evangelism, whether that be teaching, whether that be encouraging others, whether it be exhorting others, maybe it is being generous to others, maybe it is showing hospitality, maybe it is forgiving, maybe it is being kind. There's a myriad of ways the Bible tells us in which we can serve others. However, to not be serving it isn't an option. To wear the uniform of Christ, that is to be baptized into Christ, is to serve Jesus, and to serve Jesus is to serve others. Look at the first part of verse 1. This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. Now the context of his conversation with the people in Corinth is he wants them to know who his boss is. He is saying, listen, I want to be clear on something. My boss is Jesus. And he says, you should regard me as someone who serves Jesus. Paul's connection with God Paul's, Paul's relationship with God, a part of that relationship is defined by servanthood to the people of God, the church of God. Paul reports to God and no other. And Paul sees his relationship with God as a relationship of master and servant. 
one who is completely and totally in charge, and one whose job it is to serve God. So God is completely in charge, completely uh, sovereign over what ought to happen, and Paul's job is to discern what God wants and to do that, and God's desire is always for Paul to be exploring how he ought to serve others. But Paul's view of his ministry... In fact, Paul's view of his whole Christian life is a view of God as master and him as servant. Over in Romans 1, chapter 1, he, in his introduction to that letter to the people of Rome, he says this, as his way of introducing his letter, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Remember, letters in the first century were written a little different than we do it. We put who the letter is written by at the end, don't we? You write this big, long letter, and the whole time the person's going, I have no idea who wrote this. I can't wait till I get to the end. I can find out who wrote it. And they go, oh, it's from Billy. Okay, good. Now, in the first century, they did it differently, and probably better. They put at the beginning, hey, this is Billy. But who it's from at the beginning. And some of you are looking at me, Greg, did you really get a letter and you didn't know who it was from? I just think it's smarter to put your name at the beginning. I do this when I text. Hey, this is Greg. And I know the uh, younger people, when they get that text, say, okay, boomer. (laughs) And listen, I'm not a boomer, I'm Gen X. But either way, that's how I do it. I want you to know who's writing. So Paul does that in Rome, in his letter, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. He is establishing his relationship with others and his relationship with God is a relationship of servitude. Now, here's the difficulty is, because of the brokenness of our culture, the way in which uh, we view slavery, which is appropriate, it's an evil for humans to have other humans as slaves. That's, that's an evil. There's never a right way for that to be done. The problem is we, we, we freight into that our relationship with God, all that brokenness. The reality is he is creator and we are created. And what God is wanting us to understand about that relationship, he is the one who is in charge and we are the ones who are to serve him. And Paul is communicating to the people he's serving. This is how he defines his relationship with God. He is not trying to figure out how to get God to do what he wants. His job is to try and figure out how to do what God wants. And that's always going to be built in terms of how he serves others. This is Paul's defining reality with Jesus. He is my master. I am his servant. He wakes up in the morning. What does Jesus want from me today? And the answer is always going to be borne out in some way of how do I serve others? Because that's how Jesus served when he was here. One other place where he talks about servanthood is over in Romans 6. Romans 6.23 is a well-known verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What verse comes before Romans 6.23? What's that? I heard a couple of answers. The correct answer is Romans 6.22. If I do the math right. But everybody also thinks the verse that comes before Romans 6.23 is Romans 3.23. There are three chapters of Bible between Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.23. Have you realized that? You didn't know that because you memorized these verses in Awana. Thank you, Ben. And you memorize them at the same time because you were taught the Romans road to salvation for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and since you're a sinner 
All of the wages of sin is death. Since you're a sinner, you're dead. Yeah, that is true. Agreed. But there's also more to Romans 6.23 than Romans 3.23. Let's look at it. Beginning in Romans 6.20. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. So before you were saved in Christ, you are not a servant of Christ. But you are a servant to sin. When you were a slave to sin, you, were, you weren't a servant to righteousness, but you were a servant of sin. And so he's saying, back before you found Christ, you were a slave to sin. You were beholden to it. There was no escaping it. Even if you could refrain from sin, the effects of sin were irremovable from your life in your own strength. You were still going to die at some point. Verse 21 of Romans 6. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed. The end of those things is death. So what does sin lead to? Death. But what about the not bad sins? I mean, some sins are really bad. Murder, obviously, is pretty bad, right? I wanted a strong agreement on that. <laughs> yeah, murder's always bad. <laughs> okay, good. Hey, but there's some things, I mean, fudging on your taxes is not that big a deal. Nobody gets hurt but the IRS, and what's the problem there? Right? Good for them. No, there's, sin leads to death. That's what he says. So before you were a slave of sin, no escaping it. And the result is, all, of, all sin leads to death. So it's a theological reality. All sin leads to death. Verse 22. But now, so what, are we talking to believers or non-believers? But now, that is now we're in Christ, you have been set free from sin. Yes, we're set free from sin, but we're not free to ourselves. Who are we slaves to? We're slaves to the Lord. So our, our servitude has shifted. We're no longer servants of sin. Praise the Lord. We are now servants of the Lord. We're not set free to autonomy, self-direction. We're, self, we're set free from sin to serve the Lord. That's the idea. But we're always serving. To be made in the image of God, to worship God is to always be serving. The question is who we're serving. And Paul is saying, in Christ we move from slavery to sin to slavery to God. The fruit of that slavery leads to sanctification and eternal life. So the fruit of serving God is we become more like Jesus and we live forever. Which is better, sin and death or life forever? That's not common. That's easy. Yeah, life forever. So now he's talking to believers and he tells us, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God, eternal life. He reminds us, sin is deadly. Always. Serving God is life. Always. So what is he trying to tell us as believers? Why are you still sinning? It's still deadly. It's bad for you. Certainly it's not going to remove you from heaven or the book of life. But has sin ever worked out really well? No, it's still deadly. It still ruins and breaks everything. And we could try to convince ourselves he doesn't. So what Paul is saying, there's an important understanding of servitude. And he wants us as believers to say, we serve Jesus. We have oh, walked away. We no longer have to serve sin because Jesus redeemed us out of that relationship through the, his blood. When we trust him, sin no longer has rule over us and we have eternal life. And so now, therefore, we don't serve ourselves because we always are serving somebody, we now serve Jesus. But, Paul is going to assert, we aren't following Jesus around the shop, 
He is calling us in serving him to serve others. That's what he's explaining to the people in Corinth. All believers serve Jesus by serving others. Okay, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at the second part of verse 1. This is how one should regard us as, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. So this word here, steward, means God here calls us to a, a, a stewardship of what he has given us in terms of our ability to serve others. The word here talks really, it's like a household manager. So what God does is he assigns to us the, the manner in which he wants to serve others. He gives us spiritual gifts and he puts us in particular circumstances. He gives us relationships and resources and he says, I want you with the things in life I have given you, I want you to discern and use good judgment and act as a wise manager. Make decisions, use your brain, use good judgment, get good advice, seek the Lord in prayer, know him in the word, be a steward of the things God has given you and the people in your life, and serve in a manner that remembers he's the boss. So he's not calling us to mindless stewardship, where we just sit on our haunches and wait for an order. He's saying, I want you to think, as people made in the image of God and bearing the Holy Spirit in you, what does it look like in the circumstances I have been given to serve Jesus by serving the people around me? For the Apostle Paul, it is preaching the gospel to the Gentiles and applying the, the truth of the gospel to the local body of believers. He's working diligently for the good of others in the gospel because he is serving Jesus. Look at verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So who's the boss of the steward? The accountability is to the master, not the one served. The accountability is to Jesus, for the Apostle Paul, not to the ones served. God is the one who is evaluating all aspects of our ministry to others to Jesus. And Jesus, I don't want to sound too frank. Sorry, Frank. <laughs> he expects faithfulness. That's his expectation of those who wear the uniform of his identity is faithfulness to him as the master. He, he expects his believers to be found faithful in executing the duties of serving him in the places that he has put them. For Paul, this is fidelity and faithfulness to the gospel applied in the lives of the churches and the non-believing Gentiles that he interacted with. But this is true for every single believer. God calls us and expects us to be faithful to the ministry of the gospel that he's given us in the relationships we have. A great example of this faithfulness is a guy in the Old Testament. You can go there on your leisure. His name is Joseph. Really, the second half of the book of Genesis, in many ways, is the story of Joseph. Remember, Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery, and he's hauled to Egypt, and he is purchased by a master, a guy named Potiphar. And he served Potiphar faithfully. In fact, the Bible tells us he served faithfully and God blessed his hands and everything that Joseph worked on in Potiphar's household was blessed. And in fact, the only thing that was not under the command of Joseph because everything he did was blessed, the only thing he didn't have any rule over was what Potiphar ate and Potiphar's wife. Come on, I thought we'd practice. Potiphar's wife. Boo. Okay, we got it. Okay, good. We're on it. Good. 
Then one day, Potiphar's wife comes on to Joseph, and she does this repeatedly. She wants to have an illicit relationship with Joseph, and he refuses. Why does he refuse? He refuses for two reasons, he tells us. Number one, it's wrong. God would not have him have an illicit relationship with her. But that was only reason number one. What was the second reason? And for a person in his position, I might argue it was the more pertinent reason. How could I do this to my master? This, is, this, doesn't have, this doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't have anything to do with what I want. Notice, Joseph never tells us what he wanted to do. What did he want to do? Oh, don't be naive. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Single guy, living on his own. We know what he wanted to do. And he simply said, no. I say no to myself. I say no to you. I say no to everybody because I say yes to God and I'm fi- I have fidelity to my master. In his case, his master was God who had also given him a master named Potiphar. And he said, no, I am serving the Lord. You don't have authority over me. And he said, no. That didn't work out. He ends up in prison. What did he do in prison? The same thing. Showed faithfulness in the stewardship he was given. And so then the the jailer gave him rule over the whole jail. And so he was really in charge of a jail, which isn't, I mean, you're not going to put that on your resume, but it's something. (laughs) And eventually, he was ruling all of Egypt. But in all three situations, Potiphar, the dungeon, and Egypt, he did the exact same thing, which was, I serve the Lord by serving others. But my accountability is to God. And that's all Paul is doing. He's doing the exact same thing here. He's saying, I'm serving the church of Corinth. I'm serving the churches in Galatia. I'm serving the church of Thessalonica. But I, I work for God serving you. And this is true for everybody. Serving Jesus means serving, uh, serving others. And it is required, verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 4, that stewards be found faithful. One question before we move on to the second part of this passage. Are you served? There might be any of a number of people in your life, in your your family, in your uh, group of friends that you spend time with in your church who have the opportunity that you've experienced others uh, feeding into you the good work of the gospel. And if we're served, one thing we ought to be aware of is the people serving us by God's grace, they work for God. The other thing is we should consider, do we serve? Are there relationships in my life where I have a a calling to be faithful to Jesus, my master, by being stewards of, of the relationships and opportunities God has given me? Am I aware that all of us are called to faithfulness to serve Jesus by serving others? And it is required that stewards be found faithful. Since servants are accountable to God, reward comes from God, not from those served. So, verses 3, 4, and 5 of 1 Corinthians 4. Serving Jesus means Jesus rewards faithfulness. I don't know what stores you like to shop at, but you might have stores you shop at. Maybe even get to know some of the people who uh, help you at various stores. Uh, if, if you go into a particular retailer, whatever your favorite retailer it is, and you have a particular clerk that helps you, for me, my favorite clerk is self-checkout number seven. Just a <laughs> fantastic employee. Um, if you go up to that clerk who's checking out your items and say, you know what? Go ahead and give yourself a 10% raise. You work hard. 
Whenever I come in here, you, you do everything right. You're accurate. We're efficient. You make a little bit of small talk, but not enough to slow things down. You, you're able to work while doing the small talk. Is this a skill people don't have anymore? Sometimes I just want to say, would you do the thing while you're talking? You don't have to stop. Anyway, it's a pet peeve. So you walk up to the clerk. You say, yeah, give yourself a 10% raise. What is the clerk going to say to you? That's not your job. That's, you don't get to give me a raise. Now, feel free to go tell my manager what you think, but at the end of the day, the customer is not going to decide what this person gets paid. It's the manager or the store owner who is going to determine that, not the customer. Since every believer serves Jesus, our accountability is to Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus is the one who is going to commend his servants. Jesus is the one who is going to reward his faithful servants. And his commendation and his reward is when? That day. And that day hasn't happened yet. The reward and commendation isn't yet. It's on that day. Serving Jesus means he rewards faithfulness. Look at verse 3. Paul says this to the believers in Corinth. With me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Paul understood. Now, the people of Corinth, the church in Corinth, did not understand this. And he's trying to help them kindly, sort of kindly. He understood that his reward, his accountability, his commendation comes from God and not from the people of Corinth. The people of Corinth had decided they didn't look up to Paul. Now, for, for most things, this is not a big deal, and Paul doesn't really care if they look up to him. But here's the, it's the reasoning behind it. What it is, Paul had brought to them the gospel, that Jesus saved sinners. And Paul had this annoying habit of saying, the gospel is how you get saved. The gospel is how you live for Jesus in your life, and the gospel is your hope for eternity. So when are we going to move off the gospel? Never. The Corinthian believers have become bored with the good news that Jesus saves sinners and make us more like him. They're looking for some more exciting things, some more inspirational things, and so they wanted to move away from the gospel and begin looking at things that were much more interesting, and they really appealed to them mostly because it appealed to their city. Comple complex and interesting topics that uh, they wanted to discuss that, that at the time were viewed as, as higher level of wisdom and spirituality. And Paul keeps coming back to, let's talk about Jesus and how he saves sinners and what it means to live for Jesus each day. And the Corinthian believers were done with that. So what they want to do, they were, Paul wasn't so much worried that they were rejecting him. They wanted to reject him because they wanted to be done with the gospel and move on to what they perceived as bigger or better things. Paul understood, though, he doesn't need the Corinthian believers to approve of him. He doesn't need the Corinthian believers to respect him. He doesn't need the Corinthian believers to give him a raise. What he needs is commendation from Jesus. And he comes at this with a really interesting argument. Look at it, if you would. He said, it's a small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. But then he adds this at the end. I do not even judge myself. And why do you think he says something like that? And here's the reason, I think. He says this because he knows we are a really, really bad at judging people. In fact, he even says it this way. I'm so bad at judging people, I'm not even going to judge myself. What I'm going to do, this is Paul's viewpoint here. I'm going to seek to the best of my ability to serve the Lord faithfully, but I'm going to leave in his hands deciding how good that is or not. 
I'm not even going to take the time to worry about whether or not I think I'm doing, doing this thing the right way. I'm going to seek to the best of my ability to show strong fidelity to the ministry God has given me and the service he has called me to. But at the end of the day, I'm not writing up my commendation. I'm going to let Jesus do that. So Paul is humble enough to say, I can't judge you. I can barely judge me. Do you think I'm going to pay any attention to what you think of me? And what's his answer? No, I'm not. Because my commendation doesn't come from people. Paul is saying. Paul is saying, my commendation comes from God because Jesus' job is to give me my commendation or reward at the appropriate time. Paul understood this, but the Corinthian believers didn't. The Corinthian believers thought Paul would get, uh, he had the reason his ministry had meaning and significance and importance is because he could put on the bottom of his, uh, his resume or on the bottom of his letters, oh, I administered in the church in Corinth, so I matter. And Paul is saying, no, it doesn't. I don't matter because of you. I matter because of Jesus. And this is true of each and every one of us as believers. We matter because of what Jesus has done for us. The significance of our life is built upon the significance of what Jesus did for us. And at the end of the day, it is not for us to assess whether or not we have been faithful to the gospel. We can trust that Jesus is the one who is going to do that for us. Verse 4, 1 Corinthians 4. I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Judging the heart is something only God can do. We don't judge ourselves well, much less judging others. Paul puts the evaluation of his ministry solely in God's hands. And this is critically important. If you look back at chapter 3, verse 13, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Paul talked about it this way. 1 Corinthians 3, 13. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. It will be revealed by fire. The fire will test what sort of work each one has done. What he's saying is things that were built on the ministry of the gospel, things that God commands are going to last forever. And those things done for our own purposes and with our own agenda, those things are going to pass away. And what Paul is arguing here is understanding our own motivations is really, really difficult. Okay, let's talk about parenting a little bit. Uh, I like parenting. I'm terrible at it, but I like it. So as a parent, you want your kids to love Jesus, right? Of course you do. Why do you want your kids to love Jesus? Well, the answer is because, because he's, he's amazing. His kingdom lasts forever. I want my kids to be in the kingdom of God that lasts forever. And a life of purpose in the kingdom of God is a, a life that is better than any other life, in my view. What's the other reason we want kids to love Jesus? Obedient kids are easier. I mean, right? No, serious. I mean, how, yeah, would Jesus want you to wake me up from my nap? I don't think so. <laughs> I think Jesus would serve others, which means you serving me by leaving me alone. That, has anybody used this argument? And all the parents, no, never. No, I would never. I would never. See, so, so what's the motivation? Do I want my kids to love Jesus because... That's how they were made. They were made to love Jesus. God designed them to live for God. Or do I want them to love Jesus so my life is easier? Or do I want them to love Jesus so other parents will think I'm awesome? Oh, that's a big one, right? 
so that, do I want them to love Jesus so my reputation isn't hurt because my kids act up, right? So there's lots of reasons, there's lots of little inputs that we say, so then the question comes for us as, as parents who love our children who, and who love Jesus, why do we want our kids to love Jesus? And the answer is what Paul says, you know what? I'm gonna leave it in God's hands to assess the motivations of my heart because it's always going to be a mixed bag. It's always going to be a mixed bag of self-interest and God-interest. There's no way living in the flesh and the difficulty of living as a broken person in a broken world filled with the Holy Spirit that we can do this and have our, our motives always be 100% true. And so Paul does the, a beautiful thing for us here. He says, you know what? Serve the Lord. Seek Him out. Seek Him in prayer. Serve Him. But no, your heart, your heart is a complicated thing. And God, at the end of the day, is going to be the one who is going to assess the motivations and condition of our heart. So he's saying, listen, if I can't even determine why I do what I do, what, what place do I have to determine that you are serving the Lord faithfully? And when he says that to the Corinthian believers, he says, you don't. I'm not looking for you for my commendation. I'm looking to Jesus. And this can be true for all of us. All right, let's look at verse 5. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. And it will disclose the purposes of the heart. That motivation we were just talking about. Each one will receive his commendation from God. So when is the time to judge? That day. And who will be doing the judging? The Lord. What we want is for our heart, what we, what we want by the power of the Spirit, we don't want it in our brokenness, but we want is for our heart to be the same as our Savior's heart. Motivated by the same things, pursuing the same things, desiring the same things. And what Jesus is going to do on that day, he's going to help us see the ways our heart were, was different than his and the ways by his grace our heart pursued the way he did. And what, what Paul is saying is the day of commendation and judgment is that day, it's not today. The day of commendation is that day, not today. So we should withhold judgment on ourselves and others and let Jesus do the judging on the appropriate day. One of the ways we judge, this is a quick comment that sometimes we might say, somebody will have something bad happen to them, someone you don't like. Now, don't act like you don't have people you don't like. Stop it. Somebody, something happened. Okay, maybe you don't, you don't like that. You just, you think they should, they had it coming. Anybody ever, you know, something bad happens to somebody, and this, this is a very innocent group, so I know you would never see that, and me either. People tell me this happens to them. Um, something bad happens that their car breaks down, or they get laid off, or something, and you say, you know what? They had it coming. They, had it. they don't follow Jesus very close. He needs to wake them up. He needs, and you know, I think maybe, maybe this will be the time for them to turn around. So what have I done? I've moved judgment day from that day to what day? Today. And I moved the judge from him to me. It's terrible. It's just, it's just sideways of the Bible. It's just, it's just sideways. What I, in that moment, I should, I should, by God's grace, allow his spirit to remind me, don't judge that person. God, there's a million different things that may be going on in that person's life and in that person's heart. I can barely figure out what my motives are, much less that person. How about just pray for him? Help him if you can. But let's leave judgment on that day and leave the judge, Jesus. And that's what we're being called to do. And Paul is calling the believers in Corinth to do that. 
Only Jesus judges, and he judges even hidden things. Luke chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. In the meantime, many thousands of people gathered together that they were trampling one another, and Jesus said this to his disciples. Be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. What's hypocrisy? It's when you say one thing ought to be and you live a different way. Who is a hypocrite? All the alive people. <laughs> it's just to varying degrees. I mean, all of us have certain things that... Um, think about it. I'm, I'm, let me just see if you're a hypocrite. When people show up unannounced or call, hey, we're coming over, we're going to drop the thing off, we borrowed. Okay, do you have a room in your house where all the stuff goes? Where... Like all this stuff that normally is out, but you would be embarrassed that everybody knew it was out. And so, oh, they're coming. And all of a sudden, the entire family is moving all this stuff that you live with out into a room. And then when they leave, you get all that stuff back out. So that's hypocrisy. It's a just, you don't want people to know how you actually live. Now, so, uh, and you might do this. Uh, a story was told one day, uh, some people said, hey, we're going to come over. We're going to bring dinner. And, uh, oh, my goodness, this is a surprise. Now, don't do this. That's rude. So she moved all her dishes into the oven, and they brought frozen pizza. Because <laughs> he didn't want them to think, I have dishes out. She moved in the oven, hey, here's dinner. It's frozen pizza. What are you going to do now? You're, you're caught. You're a hypocrite. So all of us are hypocrites. Beware of the leaven of Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But listen, for those of us who are hypocrites, listen. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed. Nothing is hidden that will not be known. When? That day by whom? Jesus. Therefore, verse 3, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the house, housetops. Jesus is saying, I know what's going on. I know the condition of your heart. I know the condition of the words that flow from our mouths, even the thoughts that cross our mind. And Paul is calling us to recognize, maybe in some ways fearfully recognize, it's Jesus who assesses his servants. We are so worried about what other people think of us. And I read Luke chapter 12 and think, who cares what other people think? He knows all the things. He knows the motivations of our hearts and the words that we whispered in an empty room where nobody was there. And he is the one who commends his servants. And he is the one who rewards. And Paul is saying, the life of a believer who wants to be faithful to his master is one who recognizes who he is serving. We serve Jesus. Jesus calls us also to serve others and to recognize that Jesus is the one who rewards his servants for faithfulness. Jesus is the one who will commend his servants for what they have done. Serving Jesus means serving others. Service, serving Jesus means Jesus rewards faithfulness. Let me ask you just a couple of questions you think about what that means in your own life. Thinking about how the scripture here in 1 Corinthians 4 describes Paul's relationship with Christ is a master-servant relationship where he sees his role serving Jesus by serving others is not a voluntary, it's not, a, it's not an option. It's a, it's a commanding officer telling the lower rank individual what ought to be done, what must be done. 
The question I think all of us have to ask ourselves, and I certainly ask myself this, is what would be different in my life? What would be different in your life if you saw your relationship with God in that same way? That he is your master and he is, and you are to serve him faithfully by serving others. What, would, what, would, what needs to change in our life if we're going to say, I want to be a servant who is faithful to my master, Jesus? I think for all of us, there are areas in our life where we have decided we are the master. And this is an opportunity when we look at a scripture to say, what does it mean for me to turn that, that rule back over to, to the real master, which is Jesus? And the question might be, what is keeping us from that? What are we holding on to? where we don't want Jesus to be in charge of our life in that way. What is it that holds us back? A guy asked this question of a group of people many, many years ago. His name was Joshua in Joshua chapter 24. They were just getting ready to go into the promised land. Or maybe they were already in there. I don't know. You can read it and find out. Joshua 24, 15. If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice Joshua agrees with Paul. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve yourself. You're going to serve your gods. You're going to serve your culture. You're going to serve your money. You're going to serve your family. You're going to serve somebody. Somebody is going to be in charge of your life. And Joshua is calling us, just like the Apostle Paul was, who are you going to serve? And, and Joshua's call is, well, I'm going to serve the Lord. I want my life to be characterized and marked by fidelity to service to my Lord by serving others. And Joshua spent his whole life uh, serving the people of Israel out of service to God. And, and, and we're asked the same thing by Paul. Who are we going to serve? Who is our master going to be? Could be sin. Could be this world. Could be pursuits of our hearts or our flesh. And Paul is saying, what would my life look like? If I were to finally say, you know what, Jesus is my master. And I want my life to be a life of commendation that will come on that day. In that same token, I want you to think about this just as a way of reflecting. Hopefully, I'm trying to think of ways to help motivate you. I'm not very good at that, but here we go. Think about ways in which your life is different because someone else served Jesus by serving you. Can you think through your life? I'm sure you can. And you can remember those significant moments in your life where somebody sort of was there. And they gave you hope in the Lord in that moment. And maybe you wouldn't even be following the Lord today if it wasn't for that person. Do you remember that? Maybe it happened more than once. Maybe there's a number of people that pop into your mind as you think about, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't know the Lord today, or I wouldn't be serving him the way I do today, or thinking about him in the way I do today, if it weren't for these individuals. And the question I think all of us might wonder is, is what would it mean to be that person for somebody else? I mean, wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like that over the course of your life when people find themselves faithful to Jesus, that they think back and are grateful to what God did in their life because of how he worked in, in your life? That's something that lasts forever. All of the stuff of this world will, will fade away, but the ways in which, by God's grace, he allows us to serve others, that they might know and love him more, that stuff lasts forever.
And there's nothing better than that. And I wonder that maybe there's an opportunity for us to pursue that with more, more abandon than we do. One last thing, and then uh, we'll be done. Accountability to Jesus helps us avoid two errors in our Christian life. Some of us are prone to being overly self-critical. Some of us are prone to being overly self-critical, meaning we really evaluate ourselves very, very harshly. And, and generally, we feel like we're failing. And there might be some of us here. And so one of the ways that we can serve God and worship God is by saying, you know what I'm going to do? I know this is really, really hard to do, but there's just something to think about. I'm going to take that evaluation that I do of myself that's really overly self-critical, and you know, I'm going I'm, I'm to give that back to Jesus. He's, it's his job. I'm going to let him be the evaluator. I, and and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be free of that need to spend my entire day tearing myself down. I'm going to let Jesus be the, the one who commends me, and I'm going to leave that in his hands. Now, on the other hand, there's some of us here today are, that are on the other end of the spectrum. You are racking your brain to try to remember the last time you made a mistake. <laughs> and... Frankly, Jesus is pretty lucky to have you on the team. Now, you wouldn't say that out loud. You wouldn't say that out loud, but you kind of, I mean, we all kind of know it. This also allows us when to, to hand that back over to Jesus. Because we say, you know what? It's not my job to determine I'm awesome sauce. It's Jesus' job. He is the one who's going to commend So maybe I can simmer down the self-commendation. Hand that back to Jesus. So that's what grace great about leaving commendation and reward in the hands of Christ is those of us who are overly self-critical, we can let go of that burden. We don't need to. And those of us who are a little bit high on ourselves can turn that back over to Jesus and say, that's his job, not mine. And we can turn that over to him. Leave it in Jesus' hands to reward as he sees fit. Serving Jesus, always. I don't know if I could say this again in a different way. Always means serving others. And serving Jesus means Jesus will reward faithfulness. God, we thank you for the glory of knowing Jesus through faith. And we are grateful, God, that you would pursue relationship with us, people like us, that the only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. And you give us hope by calling us to faith in Jesus. God, we would pray as we consider the truth of your word that you might move in our hearts to be reminded that you came to serve others and you call us in a relationship with you to serve others. And God, we would pray that you would open up in our hearts wisdom and understanding and even a willingness to evaluate. What does it mean for me to serve Jesus by serving in the ministry of, God, of the gospel to others in my home and in my community and my work and in my church? God, we pray that we would take seriously the reality a day is coming where we stand before you. And God, we want to experience commendation and reward. So give us a heart, God, willing to think about are we living a life that is going to be commended by you? And God, we would pray that you would open our eyes to the hope that we have in Jesus and how it far exceeds anything this world has to offer. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why don't you stand up as we close with a song.